Uh, this is our church home, um, and usually when you're in the chaplaincy ministry, you can't really say that. Because even your sending church, when you come back to it, after a while, people have changed and they've forgotten. Uh, they don't even know who you are, even though, you know, some of the older people in the past are mine. But uh, this is indeed our church home. And he, the Lord has indeed knitted our hearts together, so we've got to write a book together Amen. about whatever you want. Um, yeah, I guess so do I. But, uh, Wow. Our time here is coming short. We fly to Hawaii on the, the 9th of July, and uh, we clear Fort Hood on the 18th of June, essentially, um, the same day our household goods are being picked up, which is not the way we wanted it, but the way it is. But uh, the Lord is certainly blessed in our time here at Fort Hood, back and being close not as close as we want, um, only allowing us to come maybe once a month or so to be with you all and uh, to be a part of this church ministry. And perhaps the Lord, upon retirement, will lead us back here. So you've got to find us a place, okay? We'll live in one of your flips. Um, also, you know, I want to speak to the uh, congregational song leader. Uh, Andrew did a great job. It did bring back some scar tissue. I took evangelistic song leading at Pensacola Christian College way back when, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, and it was a scarring and traumatizing experience because I have no rhythm, and I'm left-handed. So to get this right arm to do anything, I, I think, uh, what was it, Mr. Geddes? Geddes Allen? Mr. Allen? He gave up. And he decided to pass me in spite of my inability of figuring it out. And I pleaded with him, just let me do my left arm and I'll be good. And everybody will not know the difference. But he, he wouldn't have that. The, uh, this, this message was one of three or four that I was kind of working through and working on. And uh, I texted Pastor and he's like, yeah, we're working through the minor prophets, uh, but, you know, because of everything, and it's been hard to continue that series, um, I wanted to come back to this passage. This is, I did a series in Afghanistan a few years ago on Hosea and Micah, and we would do chapter one of Hosea and then chapter one of Micah, and I would encourage you to read those two prophets that way, uh, because it's very, very, very helpful and what's going on. Hosea is an extremely challenging book. Uh, it's, it's like doing self-surgery without anesthesia. Uh, you can't read and study Hosea without having an understanding of how God really considers our sin. So we're going to read the entire chapter 4, and if you have a copy of the scriptures, I'd encourage you to turn there and to follow along with me. Uh, I'm preaching this morning out of the ESV, so there will be a few word changes, but I think everyone here is smart enough to, to figure it out. I've chosen this particular version because of the main points of the message. I like the words that um, the ESV uses for that. Let me warn you, this is a rough language in here. Um, just be forewarned as I work through this, I want you to... Consider as we listen to the word together and as you read the words, I want you to visualize God as a prosecutor 
he's really judge, jury, and executioner, but as he, as he uses these words in this chapter, it's God speaking. And he's speaking to the people of Israel, and he's speaking to the prophet. So I'm going to read, and it's going to be 19 verses, and I want you to follow along very carefully. And then we'll go back, and then we'll talk about what God is doing in this chapter and what it means for us. So verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing and lying and murder and stealing and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore, the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. And also the beasts of the fields and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. Yet let no one contend, and let no one accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest. You shall humble by day, the prophet shall stumble, excuse me, stumble by day, the prophet shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will forget your children. The more they increased, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. It shall be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat and not be satisfied. They shall play the whore and not multiply. For they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine, and new wine, which take, take away the understanding. The people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. The sacrifice, they sacrifice on the tops of mountains, of the mountains, and burnt offerings on the hills under oak and poplar and terebinth. Because their shade is good, therefore your daughters play the whore, and your brides commit adultery. I will punish your daughters when they play the whore, now the brides when they commit adultery, nor the brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. A people without understanding shall come to ruin. Though you play the whore, O Israel, let not Judah become guilty. Enter not into Gilgal. Nor go up to Beth Avon, and swear not as the Lord lives, like a stubborn heifer. Israel is stubborn. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. When their drink is gone, they give themselves to whoring. Their rulers dearly love shame. The wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. May the Lord add his blessing to this, the public reading of his word. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we pause before you on this Sunday morning, whether in person here with each other or on the live stream, Lord, I just add your, ask your blessing as we work through this passage. Lord, open up our hearts to your word. May I be your choice instrument today. 
Thank you for fellowship in the Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I warned you, chapter 4 is rough. If you think chapter 4 is rough, start back at 1 and read the whole book. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes if you're the average reader. And by the end of it, it's like, man, can I even say these words out loud? One of the practices I use in preparing a message is I will take the passage and just read it over and over and over and over and over and over again. And sometimes I'll switch the translation up and read it over and over and over again and then come back to you know, New King James or ESV and then read it over and over again. Each time I read this passage, I'm like, what in the world is he talking about? And why is he using this language? So he's desperate for godliness among the children of Israel, for them to follow him and to know him, to love him. And Israel's sin has gotten so to the point where he just can't ignore it anymore, even in his mercy. And this chapter really is about indictments and God's remedy for how he is going to address their sin. So turn back to verse 1, and that's where we begin. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy. Controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Well, we're not completely immune to controversy ourselves, are we? We live in a world where the media and social media and the news is just thrives on controversy. Uh, you can't have a disagreement or an issue or a concern without, in the political limelight or in... Um, popular culture, it becomes a controversy. He has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, and notice what it is. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. So the word controversy here means legal case, a lawsuit, a brawl, and a quarrel. It could be any of those things. Hosea begins with a cry that is familiar to any reader of the prophets. It is said over and over, and through his various heralds, both the northern and southern kingdoms, he gives them the opportunity to hear and to be changed. And it's the phrase, hear ye the word of the Lord. Hear ye the word of the Lord. It is the neglect of the response to this command that is at the heart of the issue. It's been the downfall of mankind since the fall of the first man. The admonition to listen to the word of the Lord implies a call to hear with intense interest and with a determination to obey. He begins his argument by saying, Hear ye the word of the Lord. When the preacher stands before a gathering of people, as a mere man he can only hope that he has prepared a clear and pertinent message for the truth of the truth for them that listen. And then that those that are listening desire to understand and learn. That's on the human level that you understand. But he must put his trust in the Holy Spirit to take that which is godly and biblical in his message to the minds and the hearts of the people of God. Because when God speaks, he speaks perfectly with eternal significance, and the hearer must become a true believer in what God has said. So as imperfect as this preaching is, whether it's coherent or whether it's organized, 
or whether it's even good, we still have a responsibility as a true believer to listen with understanding, to seek to obey what God has told us through His Word. We are to be a true listener. We ignore and neglect God's Word at our own peril. And I might add here, the preacher preaches it as peril when he delivers up something sloppy or thoughtless drivel that doesn't have enough that is biblical in it for the Holy Spirit to use. Never forget, I was visiting around. I wasn't really a supervisory chaplain at the time. I was just a deputy division chaplain. I was visiting different chapel services on a base in Basra, Iraq, which is like the most inhospitable and God-forsaken place on the face of the earth. It was in the middle of a desert that used to be under the ocean, so the ground was awful. And then at night, the oil fields would burn because there was so much oil and so much natural gas that if they didn't burn it off, the pressure would build up and you would have these little explosions. So surrounding the base were all these fires. And it didn't hurt that it was 125 degrees. So you really felt like you were in a place called Hades or hell. So I went to this chapel service, and the chaplain preached for less than 10 minutes and didn't say anything at all. And I challenged him. I was like, man, you got to give him something to chew on. That is not even a mint. You have to give the people something they can chew on. So we offer something that is biblical that the Holy Spirit can use in your life, even if the instrument itself is inferior. Jesus responded to the temptation of Christ, or temptation of Satan in Scripture, Deuteronomy 8.3. It is written, man shall not live, what? By bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, Matthew 4.4. When the God-man taught, he wasn't sloppy with his words, and as we often are guilty of being, when he said every word, that's exactly every word. And he's making a case. The prophet stands in this passage like a bailiff calling the courtroom to attention. Have you ever been in a courtroom as a spectator? Now, I'm not going to ask if you've ever been, you know, the defendant. Uh, People are sitting around waiting for the trial to start. They're turning in their seats. They're chatting with those around them. Someone is perhaps reading a novel that they brought anticipating a long, boring procedure. The attorneys are flipping through pages of briefs and comparing notes and finalizing strategies. Deputies are standing at the side of the room and near the doorways, scanning the crowds with their eyes while they're probably thinking about lunch or a comfortable pair of shoes. Then the bailiff enters in the courtroom by an office door near the bench and cries, Let the courtroom come to order. In English courts and maybe in some more formal courts in our country, we, you will hear the words, Hear ye, hear ye. And announce the name of the honorable judge presiding. And as the judge himself enters, the room stands and he takes his place at the bench. The courtroom comes to order because what is going to be said is important for all concerned and present to hear. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land, is just that phrase. 
The problem is nobody came to order. The sons of Israel did not listen to the word of the Lord. They didn't understand the importance of his message. And the inhabitants of the land did not care about the Lord's case against them because of their sin. That is why in verse 4, just a little far down the page, it says, Let no one find fault. Let none offer reproof. It is useless to the point out their faults or to offer reproof because they're not listening. So contentious have they become, so presumptuous in their guilt, that they even contend with the priests. There is no telling them anything. You ever met somebody like that? Hey, it's no use. You can't tell them anything. That's where God is in His case with the children of Israel. In many respects, us today. As Christians... Let us not pull the wool over our own eyes and, feel, and fail to see how our society reflects as in a mirror these people before Hosea and God as judge. Even today, the word of God is openly scoffed at and trivialized in our society. And at the very best, it may be compared as equal with other religious texts. Verse 1 contains the seed from which the rest of the chapter sprouts. And as we come to look at a threefold indictment as the Lord makes a case against the children of Israel and our sin. So verse 1, no faithfulness. Faithfulness is truth. The concordance uses the words like firmness, stability, steadfastness. So he makes the case in our lives that there is no faithfulness, no steadfast love. There is no kindness, there is no loyalty, there is no devotion. And then the last indictment is there is no knowledge of God. This third charge is the greatest of significance because it is the root of the cause of the first two. So there you have, I can sit down, that's the sermon. No faithfulness, no steadfast love, no knowledge of God. So if you're wondering what's wrong in your Christian life, no faithfulness, no steadfast love, no knowledge of God. What's the issue with the children of Israel at this time? No faithfulness, no steadfast love, and no knowledge of God. If you know a believer who's struggling in their life with their walk with God, these three things will answer the question of what's wrong. If you look down to verse 6 for a moment, we'll get some illumination that will help us on our way. What does it say in verse 6? My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you for bringing a priest to me, since you have forgotten the law of your God. I will also, I also will forget your children. Note the word knowledge is used twice in this verse. It's the exact same verse word that's used in verse 1. So God is holding the priests responsible for the people's lack of significant intimate knowledge of Him that should exhibit, they should exhibit in practice. The Hebrew word here is used as an intimate one. It has a strong connection to the marriage relationship. It goes far beyond a general awareness of one another. It denotes the, a knowledge so intimate that it exhibits itself in practice. 
So number one this morning is the ignorance of God is common. <coughs> Israel had many manifestations of God's wisdom and power in their past. Many reasons to understand and know the faithfulness of God was true today as it was centuries before. Many uh, mess, uh, messages from the lips and lives of prophets, yet in practical life, they did not know them. What brought them to this condition is the lack of knowledge, is why they were destroyed. It's not just because they rejected God, it was the lack of knowledge. And yet it was not that it was not available to them, it was, they rejected it. So it's, it's, it's the progression of not knowing Him and then rejecting Him that leads them to this judgment. The temple just didn't disappear. The scripture did not vanish off the face of the earth. God did not take an extended vacation. They had every means of obtaining knowledge that they lacked about who their God was and how He wanted to operate in their lives. They willfully rejected it. They traded it for the ways of the world, for the lust of the flesh, for the new and fun religions and theologies of their day. They may have moseyed down to the temple from time to time to see if anything new was happening. Maybe they updated the sound system and put in new lighting and new chairs. Seems to be all the rage in churches today. Or they went down there to say, uh, to soothe their cloud of guilt and conscience over themselves, make their parents happy, but all that was in vain. They had lost the purpose of the temple. They had no clue about the true character of their God. They had lost the knowledge of Him. It was just something to do. Sounds like America Christianity, right? It was just a ritual without reality. God and truth were not really on their minds. They had other things to do and many ideas to titillate them. So number one, ignorance of God was common and is common. But ignorance of God was also willful. We see this in this passage. The forgetting of the law is not amnesia. It was not a momentary lapse of memory. Again, it was a willful tossing it out or tossing it to the back corner of our minds to be filed under obsolete things or neanderthal thinking. thinking. Realize what's going on in our culture. There is an attack upon the authority and the validity of the Word of God. Judeo-Christian values are being thrown out. Well, they may have kept the copies of the law on their doorposts for tradition's sake or as a good luck charm, but they had had no real meaning to them in their life. They purposely chose to reject God and forget Him. He rejected them as priests and forgot their children. Being rejected from being His priests may not have moved them, but you would have thought that forgetting their children would have made them to reconsider their ways, but it didn't. This is how far they had come. Many people will not care as much of what, what happens to them, but they will take care of their kids. Mom bear, right? Don't go after the kids. They had gotten so far from God that they couldn't see the disaster that would be happening in the lives of their kids. 
when you forget someone, you don't do it, you don't do them either good or evil. You forget them. You don't even think about evil or good of them. You just forget them. God did the same thing to their children. He did not do anything evil to the children, but he didn't do any good either. The result of the parent's sin would lead them into enough evil and pain on their own. That's an interesting concept here. Their ignorance of God was common, but it was also willful. And they made choices about their own relationship with God that would have implications on their children. But it wasn't God doing it to them. It was them doing it to their own kids. The word forget comes from a word that also involves lack of attention. He gave them no attention. That has to be the worst thing that can happen to a person other than being cast into hell is God paying you no attention. Incredible. But not only was ignorance of God common and willful, the ignorance of God is fatal. Notice the divine rejection. My people are destroyed or cut off for the lack of knowledge. It is fatal to spiritual life and your fruitfulness in life. Just as a branch is cut off from a tree soon withers and dies, your ignorance, such ignorance of God, leads to divine rejection. Because you have rejected knowledge, I have rejected you, it says. There can be no real fellowship with God when the light of His Word has he is despised or ignored. The darkness of the unbelieving heart cuts off the vision of the face of God, Jesus Christ. The reject the pleadings of His sacrificial love is to be finally rejected. So the importance that we have in our relationship with God, we don't want to get to the point where He divinely rejects us. Now, I believe once saved, always saved. But many of us, use an old term, backslide. And we fail to pay the attention necessary to our relationship with Him. As this progresses, look at verse 7. Glory is turned into shame. Verse 7 says, I will change their glory into shame. They were not glorying in the one true God. He will change all into a burning shame. Our God is a jealous God, and His love is so great and tender, He will not suffer any rival for His affections and devotion. Beware, whatever takes the place of His for your affections will certainly be turned into shame and confusion. And there's plenty of biblical examples for that. But divine rejection, glory turned into shame, and then fruitless effort. Notice verse 10. They shall eat and not be satisfied. That's a teenager, right? <laughs> no, mat no matter how much material things we seek to cram into our greedy lives, we will never have enough. Such is the experience of many the worldly man and woman, the frantic and fruitless effort to gain soul satisfaction, but never having enough to satisfy they don't know the depth of hunger in their own souls. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eats this bread, he shall live forever. Surely this is enough, right? All fullness of dwells in him. He can more than fill your cup. But their efforts are turned fruitless. They shall eat and not be satisfied. Divine rejection, glory turned to shame, and fruitless effort. Now, as we close, God's remedy. Verse 17 has to be one of the most powerful verses. Ephraim is the euphemism for the children of Israel. Verse 17 is joined to idols. And then the next phrase, what does it say? Leave him alone. Leave him alone. There is, this is one way to express the judgment that is coming against Israel. God will simply leave Ephraim alone. Wow. He's just going to leave them alone. And what's so funny is the children of Israel won't even know he's gone until it's too late. When the mighty and searing army comes against them, they may fight, but they're fighting for themselves, for God has left them alone. The phrase means beyond recall. I'm going to leave you alone. That is, I'm going to leave you beyond recall. Like, I don't know who you are. Why are you talking to me? Now, can you imagine your relationship with God coming to the point where God says to you, who are you and why are you calling me? Because I've left you alone. I have left you beyond recall. That is crazy. We don't want God to leave us alone, do we? Because we need him to protect us against our spiritual enemies. Satan wanted to sift Peter like wheat. But Jesus did not leave Peter alone to face that attack. Jesus prayed for Peter and he emerged victorious. We don't want God to leave us alone because we need him to protect us against ourselves. Left to ourselves with our own sinful hearts, we will surely drift away from God. All God must do is to make certain a man goes to hell by simply leaving him alone. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never wrapped my brain around that theological phraseology there. So God doesn't send a person to hell. He just leaves them alone and they go to hell on their own because they've rejected him. Wow. Have you ever done that with your kids? You know this is going to end badly, but you just kind of let them go because the lesson they learn by the scrape on their knee or the bump on their head is more valuable than them listening to you at that point in time because typically they probably won't listen. I guess our prayer should be this. Lord, don't leave me alone. <laughs> Keep working on me. So that conscience you have, that conviction that you have on occasion, that's God working in you. When that stops, then you should be concerned. Because God may be leaving you alone. So the message began, hear ye the word of the Lord. And the message is ending with this, yes Lord. I've tried to argue with God, I can't win. 
The only phrase I can think of now in my life is, Yes, Lord, whatever you would have for me to do. So as we close this passage, I've got some questions for you I want you to think about. Because the answer to these questions will reflect how close you are associated with this passage. So does this, does this passage represent you? The questions are, for what are you living? Because the answer to that will tell you whether or not you're living for Him or for yourself. So what are you living for? Number two, what do you think about most? Because what you think about most is what's truly feeding your spirit. Is it godly or is it ungodly? Number three, what is your biggest desire? Is your biggest desire to know Him or to do your own thing? No, I don't know about you, but this passage is pretty convicting for me. Because we live in a world that's confused, that influences us in ways that we're not even aware of. And the ways that I am aware of, I'm really, really ashamed of. But this passage has brought me back to hear ye the word of the Lord, the importance of knowing Him and being in His word, but also obeying, obeying. That's really all that God wanted from His children, is knowledge of Him and obedience. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You for North Hills Baptist Church, those that are listening and watching online as well as here. A simple passage, well, not a simple passage, a simple message from a complicated passage. Lord, thank You for all that You're doing for us. I pray that You'd work in our hearts Thank you for not giving up on us and not leaving us alone. May we know that you're there. No matter how far we've moved from you, Lord, help us to turn in repentance to you and you'll be right there. Lord, thank you for all that you're doing. Be with us as we apply this message to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.